Wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone is entitled to their best retirement possible. Welcome to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan, your path to a bigger, bolder retirement. Brought to you by Caden Wealth Management, a firm that specializes in serving the mobility technology industry. In this podcast, we help you maximize your resources and engineer your best retirement through a process-driven approach so you can get the little things right. Drawing from years of expertise, Jim and his guests will simplify complex wealth management strategies and explore actionable ideas to help you protect your hard-earned wealth and take control of your future. Now, on to the show. Last episode, we introduced the Bigger, Bolder Retirement Formula, which, as your host Jim Cruzan explained, is the sum of investment management, advanced planning, and relationship management. Well, today and for the next two shows, we're going to take a deep dive into each of these components. Up first, investment management and how capital growth together with preservation can lead to greater opportunities once you retire. I'm Patrice Sikora. And Jim, where do we begin with investment management? Well, they say the best place to start is to consider what the end is going to look like. And for us, That would be, what does retirement look like? What cash flow are we going to need? And how can we create this cash flow in a more efficient manner? Meaning, do we have the ability to reduce taxation on this? Because everything we do has an effect on what I call the, the runway. Think of an airplane kind of landing on an airstrip. You generally, for a smoother landing, You want a long runway and you want a really graceful, slow approach. That's kind of how we think about spending this money post-retirement. If we create capital, money that's been accumulated, which is heavily taxed upon using it, then that plane that's landing, our retirement that's landing, is coming in at a much more steep angle because of the additional money that needs to be spent to cover the tax liability. And it becomes less smooth. The runway becomes a lot shorter. And generally, we have a much more stressful situation. So it starts with the focus on the end. And in our case, the beginning is location. Location of the assets that we have. Sounds like real estate, location, location, location. Very much so. (laughs) And when we talk about location, what we're referring to is what is unique about the type of account uh, that we're saving money into or the type of account that assets reside in. For example, when we build investment capital, when we build out accounts on behalf of our client, we're doing it from the position that in the future, we want to extract as much as we can as tax efficiently as possible. So for us, we we look at what we refer to as triangulation. And by triangulation, we mean we really should be looking toward building assets in three distinct locations. We can't help 
but build assets in a tax-deferred location. That's the sum total of money you're accumulating in a 401k over a career. It can be rollouts of pension or rollouts of 401k. Essentially, this is a bucket where when we pull money out in retirement, it's coming out fully taxable. It's treated just like ordinary income. And we know that we will lose a portion, 10, 15, 20, 30% of every dollar we pull out to to taxation. So that bucket, while it's usually our client's largest bucket, because they've worked for 30, 40 years for large corporations, it's also generally one of the most inefficient buckets out there. So to create flexibility, uh, we want to build other buckets as well. We want to make sure that we have a tax-free bucket. And by tax-free, I mean, hey, here's money that we're accumulating, which down the road, we will expect to be able to withdraw from without incurring any tax liability. And, And what assets make that up? That's typically Roth IRA. And as we mentioned in the previous episode, there's a number of ways to get money into a Roth IRA. Uh, We can also use an HSA. If we use the health savings account as a savings vehicle, that is essentially another tax-free bucket that we have the ability to draw from, create cash flow from post-retirement. And then the last bucket I refer to as tax preferred. And what I mean by that is it's a bucket that we can pull from, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to trigger a tax effect. And I'm not talking about putting money in a tax deferred vehicle, like an annuity today to save money today, Mm -hmm. because when you pull that money out 20 or 30 years from now, a good deal of it comes out completely taxable. So it, it, it is not the fact that we're saving something today, but then having a real problem down the road. It's the attitude that the money we put in now is generally after-tax money. It's additional savings. can come from just discretionary income. I have more money left at the end of the month that I want to save. It can be a result of Corporate stock ownership, I I, I get a bonus in corporate stock that I liquidate, and that provides capital that I can then build a more diversified portfolio with. But the idea with this account is when we pull money out, we have a lot of choice as to how we treat taxes. As an example, we generally manage those accounts on a tax-efficient basis. So we're harvesting tax losses. In the time when the markets are weak, uh, we will great tax loss. And we can use those losses to then offset gains elsewhere in the portfolio. So at the end of the year, we can pull money out and depending on gains and losses and where we're pulling from, there might not be any tax liability associated with that distribution. Additionally, if there is tax liability, it's generally treated as a long-term capital gain which is significantly less in terms of tax than ordinary taxable income. And under current tax law, if you're in a 12% bracket, as an example, which is really key, there is no capital gains Hmm. at all. So you can create a lot of cash flow. As an example, let's say we had a client 
who needed a $10,000 a month spendable to live their lifestyle. They both work. They both made much more than that. And this is what they think their budget will be. Well, if all they have is a 401k that is now an IRA, every time we tap it, it's treated as ordinary taxable income. So we need to pull probably somewhere between 140 and as much as 150000 a year off of that 401k or IRA to pay the taxes to get down to the 120000 that they spend. I know I, I apologize. This is kind of wonky and I'm, I'm talking about a lot no, of numbers, no, no, but, no, the no. Fact, but, but the fact is all of a sudden we're landing that plane at a much more severe angle because we're pulling out 20% right. or so more than we really need to. Conversely, if we had a, a, a client triangulated where we had other buckets of money, I, I know for a fact that we could generate, call it 108000 a year of taxable income, net after the standard deduction, we're down to 80-some thousand, which puts them in a 12% bracket. That 100,000 that comes out, which generates 80, uh, generates 89, 90,000 after tax, I know I can pull now the difference. We need 120, remember. I can pull the other 30 from Roth or this tax preferred account with with an opportunity to not have any additional tax. So all of a sudden, the spend from the portfolio taxable is only about 108. And at the end of the day, they're in a 12% bracket and not a 22% bracket. They're in an effective tax rate, which is single digits as opposed to double digits. Less money that we pay in taxes more money sits in the account. The more money in the account, the greater the cash flow, the more experiences we can have. So location is very important. And uh, I can't tell you the number of times we've seen new clients come in who just were, were terrific savers, just very religious about putting money away. But it all sits inside a 401k and it's all pre-tax. There is absolutely very little flexibility, not only to create cash flow, but then every so often there are other extraordinary expenditures. Got to replace a vehicle. Well, guess what? That $30,000 car that you'd like to pay in cash, that's really more of like a $40,000 car because of the tax load. So planning ahead and triangulating assets can pay huge dividends. And I mean that as benefits, not dividends in terms of dollars way down the road. Talk to me about flexibility. Does time, I would think sometimes it happens that someone's situation changes and they have to become more conservative. Or maybe they say, hey, I can spend more. I can pull out more. Talk to me about flexibility. So we, we can talk about flexibility two ways. We can talk about it from the standpoint of um, within these various locations, can we run dissimilar investment strategies? In other words, this whole idea that 
does one size fits all? And, and we see that a lot where uh, a client or potential client will have money invested in several mutual funds within a 401k. And then somebody suggested they should roll some of that out into an IRA. And we look at the IRA and it's invested in exactly the same degree of funds. So there's really no benefit from the standpoint of diversity. There's really no benefit from the standpoint of what alternative strategies can be used. So what we like to do is we like to position strategy, what we're doing with the money based on location. As an example, if uh, we have a fund which is dormant, meaning, hey, we're not really putting any more money in it. Nobody's contributing. It is what it is. As we get closer to retirement, it sort of has to rest on its own merit, meaning there's really no advantage that will be created if the the account drops a lot in value. So we want to be extra careful uh, in an attempt to mitigate some of this downside risk because the account is what it is. Think of that as a large IRA or 401k, maybe from a change in employment or maybe at the immediate time of retirement. Conversely, that same person who's very close to retirement might have a very, very small tax-free Roth IRA. And we know there are still several years that they can accumulate because we're still several years away from retirement, but we also know it's quite small. And we also know that it more than likely isn't money we're going to use right away. So even though we're being far more conservative in the bigger, more strategically important accounts, we probably want to be a bit more aggressive with that small account because it's really somewhat de minimis in terms of the overall size of the accumulated wealth, but being able to grow that tax-free account out potentially more aggressively, which would mean to a greater extent over time, it's going to serve us in terms of creating far more benefit for us because there will ultimately be more money there to be able to help tax manage the account. You can also say the same thing with respect to accounts that you are regularly contributing. We have had the pleasure of uh, providing advice to many of our clients on their 401k, real time while they're working, us making adjustments and modifications on the fly. That's incredibly different than seeing an advisor once or twice a Mm -hmm. year. And he says, hey, by the way, come on in, bring that 401k statement. Let me tell you what you got to do now. Right. You can understand the difference. I don't think I have to explain. And what we find as we're taking on these new accounts, very often we will have somebody who is putting money in five funds, 20% each, And you'll see that their portfolio, the money they actually have accumulated, is apportioned essentially the same way. And the money going into the account is being apportioned exactly the same way, irregardless of where we are in the market or what potential opportunities there could be. So we've always viewed the money that's sitting in the account 
differently than the new money going into the account. And often our allocation for what's in the account is quite a bit different. And, and in particular, what we do is we look at the allocation. We, we, we try to ascertain what areas of the, the marketplace, U.S., international, large cap, small cap, might make more sense to start positioning into because of changes in the Fed, changes in U.S. dollar strength or whatever. And what we do is we use the new contributions as an opportunity to start building out that area while we're keeping the rest of the portfolio focused and maintained. As an example, there are many, many, many uh, strategists who feel over the course of the next 10 years, international and emerging markets may very well outperform the U.S. marketplace. Now, that hasn't been the that hasn't been the case the last decade or so. Uh, I've been doing this long enough that I can remember many periods of time that where that in fact did happen and happen over an extended period. So, if we believe that to be the case, we can do one of two things: we can take a lot of money today that's sitting in an account, and we can apportion some of that over into international and, in particular, emerging markets, in the hope that this expectation comes to fruition, or we can say, you know what, why don't we do this instead? Why don't we direct, redirect almost all of your contributions, all the money you're putting in this year into that emerging market fund? And we'll continue to build it up while we're waiting to see if in fact it works. If it works and it comes to fruition, we have exposure and we've been buying those shares cheap as they've been going down and we haven't sacrificed or put at risk the rest of the portfolio. And then when we have proof of concept and it looks like, in fact, that's happening, we can make those tactical adjustments within the account itself. And if you look at doing that over a, a, a business cycle, you, you may very well find that you're advantaging the portfolio and the growth by just being a little bit different, a little bit smarter about how we're dealing with these accounts as a result of location. That's a wonderful, comprehensive plan. What if, though, you have the accounts of one spouse and not the other? How do you, how do you balance that? How do you deal with not actually seeing the other accounts? Yeah, that that becomes somewhat difficult. It, it's going to sound self-serving if I said, "Well, it totally would make sense if it was all under our <laughs> control and in management." And, and in 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 some cases, you, you can certainly make a uh, an argument for that. If if we're actively managing a portfolio and actively attempting to reduce some degree of downside risk on the uh, the very important portfolios, and then there's a uh, another group of assets that are sitting out there that are being managed differently. It's not necessarily bad. It might not be optimal, but if it's something that the client wants to do because of uh, past relationships or what have you, you know, we can kind of work mm -hmm. through that. In some cases, if we agree on an overall overarching strategy and overarching 
allocation at the family level. And one client tends to be more aggressive than another, one spouse more aggressive than another, then we might be able to, as an example, build out the more conservative portfolios with our client. And then the other spouse who might have assets elsewhere probably are uh, involved with an advisor who's really more buy and hold. So that account's going to be a bit more aggressive. So the more aggressive nature of the account might be there and the more conservative, let's protect what we've got and grow it smartly would be what we would control. And then uh, every so often you've got to kind of take a picture of this because at the end of the day, valuations drive required minimum distributions. It's the total client net worth that's going to drive cash flow. So we might find it more efficient to pull cash flow from a spouse's account than our client's mm-hmm. account. There are things that need to be done. It, it's nearly impossible to drive an overarching theme with, with lack of optics in terms of who's got what and where and, and what's working. Yeah, true. Talk some more about active management. You were mentioning how you can do this on the fly. You've got access. You see things. It's not well once a quarter. Oh, let's look at the statement. Talk to me about active management. For the last decade or so, the, the market or our industry has been really leaning in to passive management, kind of let's put it in a long-term growth index like the S&P 500, just kind of you know, ride it out and ebb and flow. And you're seeing more and more passive investments becoming choices within 401k and otherwise. And over the last 10 years, you know, passive investing has really outperformed um, a- a- active. And, and part of the reason is we really haven't had a lot of market disturbance. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't had a Federal Reserve that has done just quantitative easing. The last 10 years, the Fed has been very friendly to the marketplace. And uh, the more you were in the market for the longer period of time, the better you did. I think this is shifting a bit. And when we refer to active management, what we're referring to is really an active role in adjusting and overweighting the portfolio based on two things. One, where we think the Fed is presently, what does their policy look like and what are they more apt to do next? And two, where are we in this business cycle? If the Fed is friendly, as they've been for a number of years through quantitative easing, keeping interest rates low, keeping the discount rate low as well, that's hugely impactful and positive for the markets. And it makes more sense to be more aggressive. When the Fed is our foe and they're raising rates and they're applying quantitative tightening and removing excess capital from the banking market, it becomes far more difficult for markets to provide the same level of performance. And more importantly, it probably makes more sense to take a closer look at what's happening in the account in the amount of risk we have. Depending on where we are in the 
business cycle or the economic cycle is the same thing. I'd rather be more aggressive and, and invest more aggressively for clients when it looks like we're coming out of a recession and we're now growing. But if we're on the proverbial other side of the hill and things are weakening and there's a recession in sight, we know that ultimately that affects market multiples, that affects corporate earnings, and generally valuations come down. What we do in terms of active management is not what I would call market timing. I have no idea what the market's going to do tomorrow, up, down, or sideways. But I can tell you that if the Fed is friendly or not, if the economy is weakening or strengthening, there is a case for repositioning the portfolio. So instead of managing, and, and, and when I talk about active, I really am talking about larger IRAs. If you think about it, most of our clients, as I said, are involved in mobility technology. They've worked a, a full career, 30, 40 years, and they've saved a sizable nest egg. Most of the nest egg resides in 401k that ultimately might very well reside in an IRA. Most of that wealth was accrued by denying savings over a full career or denying spending, I should say, over a full career. And it's, it's quite personal. And because that's usually their largest source of retirement wealth, it sort of makes some degree of sense to try to be a little bit more cautious on the downside. We don't want clients to suffer 20, 30% losses in capital because on the decumulation side, when you're spending this, it becomes a problem. The industry however, is really focused on kind of the scientific approach to investing, which is buy, hold, long-term. That's very much a passive investment approach. And you can get away with that when you're accumulating. Because if retirement is way out there and between now and then you continue to save on a regular basis and you're not using any of it, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference as to whether the value is up, down, or sideways because you're not using any of it. It's generally money that you'll continue to accumulate. But in retirement, the value of the account becomes very important. And it becomes very important because it's going to drive behavior. When values are down and down significantly, clients will generally deny experiences. They will deny the ability to go out and do things. Also, in retirement, and this even assumes that we all have a really long-term retirement ahead of us, 30-plus years. If we frame it as a 30-year retirement and we consider the two or so years that it takes to go into a recession before things bottom out, and the three or so years it takes to dig back out to simply get to the valuation you had once before, that becomes a five-year throw or more. I don't think anybody has a five-year period inside a 30-year retirement that they can just say, ah, that one didn't work. We'll no, discard no. that one and we'll do it all over again. So 
having a more active approach from the standpoint of what we can do to better engage the portfolio when the wind's at our back, the Fed is friendly, and the economy is growing? And what can we do to lock down a bit, become less aggressive, become more conservative, and reduce downside risk makes a whole lot of sense. And it becomes far more impactful for folks that are sitting with large retirement balances. And that that's kind of our approach to active management. So think of it as instead of, which is typically the case, conducting a, a short questionnaire, then coming back and selecting one of five or six model portfolios. Here's all stock. Ooh, that's too aggressive. Here's 20% uh, bonds, 80% stock. Whoa, that might be too aggressive. Here's 60, 40 or 40, 60. Or, you, you pick something kind of in the middle or you pick something less than in the middle because when you look at how bad it did in a really bad year, you feel like, oh, that's not so bad. I can kind of deal with that. But you've already geared your selection down so much, much less stock, way more bond, that you're never going to achieve over that 30 years of retirement the accumulation you need to drive greater cash flow, drive greater experiences. So our approach is much more like an accordion. When things are great, you know, we want to have that accordion out as far as we can within reason. But when things aren't so great, we want to squeeze that accordion in quite a bit and lock down and reduce quite a bit of risk. And that can be done far more easily inside of a uh, inside of an IRA. An IRA is really a very unique tool. In a, in a regular account, uh, a general investment account, a trust account, or what have you, if we wanted to be active in an attempt to reduce some downside risk, we can only do so much because if we did a bit more, undoubtedly, we're selling things that have gains. And what will happen is we will then have this tax obligation, this tax bill, because we've sold a lot of stuff that has capital gains. And we're going to have to write a very uncomfortable large check to the government to cover tax liability. Once that money, that check has been written and the money is left, that's lost capital. That money that was sent to the US Treasury, mm -hmm. you're never getting back. You're never, ever, ever going to get a rate of return. So with taxable accounts, we can tax manage and we can reduce downside risk within limits, but we don't want to incur tax liability, which causes a permanent reduction in capital. With an IRA, it's completely different. There is no tax liability to sell out of one fund to move into another, to move from all stock to no stock, to move from US to international, small cap to large cap, or on and on. So the way we view the IRA, it's a very impactful account. It becomes, when considering all the other accounts that a client may have, taxable, tax-free, Roth, HSA, whatever the case is, it's the IRA because of this unique ability to be able to adjust and pivot 
it becomes kind of the rudder of the whole portfolio. It will essentially steer the rest of the account if we want to take a client's possessions, their account, their capital, and reduce risk because we're worried that the economy may slow, we may fall into a recession, stock values will drop appreciably. We can do that by making adjustments to the IRA without making adjustments to the rest of the accounts, which may invoke tax liability. If we wanted, conversely, to be more aggressive, it's far easier to be more aggressive within the IRA as well. And and that approach really is quite different than what's being applied today in, in our industry. Jim, as usual, lots of great information there. You have made the case for active management. And if today's episode taught us nothing else, we now know location is crucial, not only in real estate, but to a successful investment strategy. Now, coming up on the next episode, we're going to move along to the advanced planning part of the bigger, bolder retirement formula. And we'll explore the financial planning side of retirement planning, things like tax mitigation, cash flow planning, wealth preservation, and so on. Can't wait. And if you're joining us for the first time today and wondering what is a bigger, bolder retirement, we invite you go back to episode number two. You will learn all about this concept. And you can also check out the last episode we did where we gave a high-level overview of the Bigger, Bolder Retirement Formula. For a free copy of the Bigger, Bolder Retirement Formula and other free retirement planning tools, please visit this episode's show notes. And if you'd like to take a closer look at how the Bigger, Bolder Retirement Formula can enhance your retirement plans, contact Caden Wealth, K-A-Y-D-A-N, Caden Wealth, at 800 800- 638-6900 or visit cadenwealth.com and click get started. There are links in the show notes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the Retirement Engineer podcast. Follow at Caden Wealth on social and you won't miss any future episodes. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available visit our website at www.cadenwealth.com or give us a call at 800-638-6900. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of Jim Cruzan and this episode's guests, not necessarily those of Caden Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.